This morning is my last uh, soiree, if you will, with um, one-offs. We're going to be entering into a new sermon series starting next week in the book of James. And it's going to be our fall sermon series. I'm very excited about it. And so I was praying, and last week uh, the message was pertaining to, hopefully you caught it, uh, just the idea of how do we move forward, how do we live in light of the challenges that we face, and how does God inspire us to do that when there's so much to deal with? And uh, it, it was a powerful message for me, but I heard from so many of you throughout the week. I know it was powerful for you as well, so I prayerfully was looking again. Uh, actually, this goes back a couple weeks. Lord, what is it that you would have for us to hear? And so the idea of compassion struck me. The idea of compassion is what the Lord gave to me to pass on to you. This is not an area I do well in. I will just say to you that both my wife and I, when we went through premarital counseling, they give you some kind of a test. I don't know what that test is. I, I have one that I administer. It's pretty generic, but I don't know what the one was that we took. It wasn't, how many of you did the otter, golden retriever, um, vampire one? You guys remember that? So uh, I added vampire. It was just so telling, knowing some of you, um, knowing myself. But the one we took measured different strengths and weaknesses, and then there was an average line, right? And we scored really well in most areas. Both of us scored way below on compassion. Like, that is our worst in the entire test. We zeroed out. If there was zero, we were below zero when it came to compassion, and uh, so if you ever see anything compassionate from either of us, it's the Lord at work. It is not us in our natural sense. And I know you all have done a, a, an amazing job praying for my children. Because can you imagine growing up in a household where both parents zero out on, on compassion? So um, that might explain a lot. In the, uh, in the early 90s, I worked with a friend of mine in, in downtown Hollywood and worked with him in context to those that lived on the street, particularly young people. And it was a extremely difficult ministry. Um, it was an extremely difficult job. I went with him on Friday nights to do the ministry and then that parlayed into individuals hearing about what he was doing and that parlayed into him opening up a center and pretty Soon, that center was the single greatest drop-in center for youth in all of Los Angeles. And I just got to meet with my friend Steve a few weeks ago, and um, since then he's moved on, he's turned that over to other individuals, but I'll never forget one event that happened. And I'm not going to share the individual's name, but most of those uh, that came in were completely filthy, um, hungry, kicked to the curb. I'm choosing my words carefully. Um, invisible. And this one particular young man that came in, he would come in every day to the center and he would just lie down and sleep. 
The reason was is that in living on the streets, when night came, basically you had to stay awake to fend for your life. Or you would get, you'd get beaten down. And he would come in and he would just collapse on, on a side wall and sleep nonstop. Then on his way out, and he never said a word, and on his way out he would grab his lunch and leave for the night. And then we'd see him the next day and the next day. I wasn't there when this event actually happened but this young man smelled horribly. He had defecated on himself over and over because he couldn't control his bowels. He was a day and a half away from death. You could see it on him. You could smell it on him. And so Steve asked him one day, you come in here, you sleep, you take a lunch, and you say nothing. What's your story? And in that moment, this kid, let's just call him Blaze. Blaze said nothing. He just had a deadpan, empty eye, empty soul gaze into Steve. And Steve was moved by the Spirit to walk up to Blaze, who hadn't showered for who knows how long because he couldn't shower. And he wrapped his arms around this kid who was violent, antisocial. We keep listing all the parameters. And this kid started to weep in Stephen's arms. And he finally spoke. And he said, nobody has touched me for two and a half years. I'm so desperately lonely. I'm dying of AIDS. I cannot control my bodily functions. I'm ridiculed. I'm the worst of the worst. And nobody has touched me for two and a half years. It is amazing the reaction that can come from one simple action of compassion, my friends. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This word compassion from Scripture, and I, you know, there's a lot of different places. We'll look at them. We'll put them up on the screen. But our main text today is out of Luke, Luke 10, 25 through 37. Many of you are very familiar with this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I had a lot of areas I could have gone to. But the Lord guided me right to this. And I think it's for good reason. I think there's one particular verse that maybe that is the reason that the Lord asked me to preach this today. So I love definitions. Um, I just dropped... Uh, I just dropped a jer word on, on my wife this morning at 5.30 a.m., and she just rolled her eyes. I couldn't see because it was dark, but I could hear her roll her eyes. And uh, she asked me, how did you know that? And I said, because I'm prescient. She goes, oh, gosh, whatever. 
I wish I could tell you that I was prescient on this level. It's not necessarily true. It's kind of an easy one to swing for the fences on. So we're gonna, our main text is going to be about the Good Samaritan. But let me give you a definition here because these verses I'm going to give to you that are straight out of the life of Jesus, looking to his example of compassion, right? The word is always the same word in the Greek. And you know how much I, I love to pronounce the Greek for you because you all speak Greek. It makes a whole lot of sense when preachers stand up here and pronounce a Greek word. So that's my gift of sarcasm, very, very active. But I am going to pronounce this one because it's just fun. And so every once in a while, I give myself permission to have fun from the front. If you want to throw this around later this week, later today, feel free. Um, you'll get some uh, interesting glares or stares. Splank needs some right? And the reason I love it is because it almost sounds German, right? Splank needs some Do you know what that means? In the Greek? This is even better than the enunciation of that. It means that my bowels yearn. Okay, so I'm letting that one hang out there just to watch your reactions. Now let me give it some definition. You're watching TV for whatever reason. I don't know, at 1 a.m., and Sally Struthers or Sarah McLaughlin come on, and they show you either children in South America or North Korea or dogs that, that are highly abused and, and malnourished. And, and those dogs look up at you with these big brown eyes, and, and you can see their ribs or, or whatever. That's Splunk needs so my. That reaction that you have, you feel it in a deep place, Right? It's not just a casual, oh gosh, that's horrible. Pass the lemonade. Right? That it disturbs you, it offsets you, it commands a visceral reaction from you. So when we talk about these passages, I want you to think when the author uses this word, I want you to visualize Jesus having this reaction because this is what we are to do as a reaction ourselves. In Mark 6.34, it talks about how he was moving throughout the countryside of Palestine. And the crowds were gathering and they were following him. They were compelled to listen to the truth and the majesty of what he was saying. And to see and experience the healing touch. And they were so desperate. And Mark writes these words. He had compassion on the crowds. Let me give you some background here. Uh-oh, I don't know what's going on. That's the announcements. So, look, we have active pure. There we go. Compassion. A feeling of deep sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. And I think sometimes we stop there with the definition. But this is the American definition. The English definition. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. There's your deep reaction. Mark 6, 34, he had compassion. He had a deep, visceral reaction about the sorrow and the condition of the crowds that were following him in desperation. 
In Mark 8, 2, it says that those same crowds were following him. And you remember, some of you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and 3,000, the fishes and loaves. And the, the context of the text says what? That he had compassion, right? The disciples didn't have it. The disciples are, hey, um, Jesus, we've been out here all day. This is a little rough. We're kind of hungry too, but hey, you know, Bartholomew was over in the West Quadrant, Quadrant and he heard these guys kind of grumbling, saying, hey, are they going to, you know, they're going to take care of us? They're going to feed us here? And so it would be really good if we got out of here before we had a small riot of, of hungry Palestinians. Jesus says what? Mark says Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were hungry. Because they were hungry. Are we as the church doing the kind of compassion ministry that we can do, that we should do, for those that are hungry? Physically hungry, spiritually hungry? It says Jesus had compassion his growls moaned because the crowds were hungry. He had compassion on the family with the demon-possessed child. He heard the father begging, my son is afflicted. What would you do for your child if you knew a physician could take away their pain, their sorrow, their affliction? That's what this father did. He comes to Jesus, the healer, and he says, have mercy on us. And again, Mark says that word. Jesus had compassion on the whole family, and he cast out the demon. It's followed by action. He had compassion on the mourning widow whose son had died. I don't know if you remember the story. He doesn't get a lot of publicity. But Jesus was in Jerusalem and there was a, a, a procession going by and a young man had died and here was a widow, already had lost her, her husband, but now her son had died and he saw the distraught heart of a mother and a widow who had lost everything. And he had compassion. I don't know if you've ever heard wailing from those who are in the Middle East. Some of you have. You're from the Middle East. But I'll never forget the first time I heard that kind of wailing. It's proper. It's important. We're here. We're, we're encouraged to internalize everything. That's how we process. It's how we deal things. Jesus would have compassion whether you were internalizing it or whether you were blatantly screaming in anguish. And so he turns and he walks over and he heals. He doesn't just heal, he raises her son from the dead because of compassion. And then in Luke 10 on the figurative person beaten and left for dead. So Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. <clears throat> well, I don't know, what, what? Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. And the lawyer is feeling pretty full of himself. 
This that it was an exception to the rule. Lawyer was feeling pretty full of himself, and he's discoursing with Jesus earlier in chapter 10. So you can look at the context. And he's feeling like he's justified in who he is. And he's saying, so, in essence, he's really saying, how good am I? Because he thought he was pretty good. He thought he was pretty righteous. How do we fit in that? I think a lot of the American church feels like they're doing pretty good. They're doing pretty well. I know I can go weeks thinking I'm, I'm righteous. And so Jesus uses a story. Brilliant teacher, right? Jesus uses a story to help him deal with his own statement. He could have laid out just a teaching principle, but instead he uses a story, and there's so much depth, there's so much magnitude. It's impressive. And this is where we find ourselves. So Luke 10, 29 through 37. I'll go ahead and read it. By the way, we love the sound of a baby in here. So please, don't, don't freak out because Gary starts making the same noises all the time. And your baby has the same head, so. That's compassion. What's wrong with you? All right, let's get back to Scripture where it's safe. But he, desiring to justify himself, the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor, right? So he asked this question, what do do I need to do? And Jesus says what? Keep Keep the whole law. Keep the royal law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Well done. You've got it. End of preaching. Let's go to lunch. He says, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, oh, here you go, Jesus, you're doing it again. One of these long, illustrious things, i got to figure out what's really going on. Let's dive into it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Many people believe Jesus was talking about the Wadi Kelt. I've walked the Wadi Kelt. If you're going to go on the other side, you have to go all the way down into this ravine. You have to cross over a stream and climb a canyon wall to get to the other side. You really have to go out of your way because you don't want to deal with it. By the way, the friend, the opening story, Steve, executive for a high-power company right on Hollywood Boulevard, right where they filmed the Jimmy Kimmel show, right? In char- Vice president in charge of HR, and every day he walked out, there were kids out there panhandling, and it drove him nuts. So you know what he did? To get to his car, he walked all the way around the block to avoid them. And Jesus confronted my friend Steve and said, what are you doing? And he did it through a young man. And one singular conversation, and that moves Steve to give up his high-powered job and start making a compassionate difference in those who are ignored and not seen and die in back alleys. Amazing real-life illustration that fits with exactly where we are. But the priest, Jesus, what are you doing? You're picking on my group. What are you doing? The priest goes all the way down and all the way up the other side 
took me 45 minutes to do that. When I walked the Wadi Kelt, I thought, you know what? I kind of want to experience this. Went way out of his way so he didn't have to deal with what he knew he should deal with, with compassion. He had a reaction against compassion. Let's keep reading, because I'm sure it's going to get better. So the priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, by the way, a Levite was one who was in charge of a lot of responsibility at the temple, right? Their tribe was highly revered. They had stature. They had prominence within the, uh, within the community, right? Leaders, just by who they were. And, and so this guy's going to do much better, right? So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. We're doing really well. But a Samaritan, now Jesus is spinning a, a story. And he picks his characters very carefully. Because who's asked this question? The upper echelon of society. Right? The gentleman's club. The ones who are feeling themselves and and have this sense of we have arrived. Guess who a Samaritan would be in this story? The one who should be shining the shoes of the lawyer. The one who should never be allowed in the house but only work in the servants' quarters. The one you should actually not even converse with or look in the eyes because they're not worthy to do that. That was the culture and so Jesus carefully chooses his, his players in this story. And remember who he's talking to. So Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Splank nidsomai. He had splank nidsomai. He felt it in his bowels. How desperate this person, the position this person was in. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, resources. Oil and wine cost something. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. More cost, more dedication. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Fully invested to the recovery and health of this person who was in a desperate position and desperate need. And by the way, a lot of the time what the church does is we, we pour resources but we don't ever have this sense of saying, hey, we'll come back. We'll come back. But here the Samaritan in Jesus' story says, I am so committed to the benefit of the recovery of this person. I have to continue on my journey, but here's money to take care of him. Can I trust you? Whatever goes beyond, if you feel like dumping him out on the road, don't. I will be back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So here you go. The lawyer's very astute. For all of the ribbing we give lawyers, 
They are really smart. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, and here is the beauty of the story. You go, comma, and do likewise. There's your answer. You want to be justified? Go. And by the way, he asked this question, right? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That prompted the question because there was probably some level of guilt. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do love God, but can you please define what neighbor means? And I think part of what is inferred in what Mark is, or Luke is sharing with us is that, that the lawyer, for as astute as he was, as accomplished as he was, knew that there was a messy corner in his life. And so Jesus holds nothing back, and then he gives him a command and says, you go and do likewise. You see the beauty of it? Jesus gives him a story, talks about the hypocrisy of those who have so much, should know better, but do nothing and go out of their way to avoid practicing compassion. And then at the end he says, who do you think? was the better of the three. And each of us can answer this, but Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He says, you go. Go. There's a whole implication to that. And then he gives definition to it, and he says, do likewise. Let's look at this and break this down real briefly. So this is a reaction of compassion, and Jesus is trying to teach this lawyer who was struggling with this idea of compassion how important this truly is. So with the compassion, when we look at this, the Good Samaritan story, what defining reaction set apart the Samaritan for Jesus' praise? His compassion. His compassion set him apart. This is principled teaching by Jesus, and it's a salve upon the brutal and lost society that we live in, which is current, right? So when we look at this, the reaction of compassion brought healing for the person on the side of the road left for dead. The reaction of distraction brought death and shame. The priest, the Levite, pretended that they were distracted, had to go do something else, out of sight, out of mind, and it would have brought death and shame upon them. Is our society currently embracing that? I think we are. Reaction of satisfaction brought condemnation to the lawyer. The lawyer thought he was satisfied with who he was and where he was at spiritually. And so Jesus just kind of lays out a hypothetical for him to wrestle with. And all of a sudden he realizes, hmm, I shouldn't be satisfied. My bowels should yearn for those who are oppressed. Lastly, reaction to instruction brings what? Yeah, this is the part where you can speak. Action. It's great for us to get sympathetic. It's great for us to have this, this pit in our stomach. It's great for us to contemplate and dwell on this. But if we don't do something, if we don't have a reaction of compassion, we have failed. We have not acted like Christ has acted. We can't say that we love our neighbor, and yet, what? We have distraction. We have satisfaction. I love illiteration. Thank you. I'll be here till Thursday. 
Ostensibly, Jesus is making a profound declaration here. No one is beyond compassion. To understand the thinking of those in Israel at that time would have almost been tantamount to saying that a Samaritan can't even exemplify compassion. And that's probably one of the reasons Jesus chose to humble this individual, is saying the one who got it right and reacted with the proper level of compassion was the least of these. We have this statement over here. It's recorded in in several of the Synoptic Gospels. The words of Jesus, whatever you've done for the least of the brothers, you've what? It's as if you're doing it unto me. He says, you go and do likewise. So I think we've got our heads wrapped around what to learn here, right? But how do we practice this compassion reaction? Well, I I would say, you know, compassion smells a certain way. Right? I don't know if you're catching it, but I'm really trying to get you to react this morning. Right? little synonymous teaching. Compassion smells a certain way. What would you normally say there? Compassion looks a certain way. I'm tired of us just looking. There is something very visceral when a junior hire walks into a cabin, or you walk into a cabin of junior hires at camp two days after they've been there. None of you signing up to be a counselor, are you? I love that picture of that kid. Come on. They aren't that bad. Have you ever been in a place where someone takes their shoes off and it just permeates the room? What if compassion had that kind of reaction? What if your action of compassion had that kind of thank you it smells a certain way compassion is definable it's powerful it transforms compassion kills spiritual apathy here's the beautiful thing about this story my friends is that you don't have to be the lawyer you don't have to be uh, the Levite you don't have to be Uh, the priest, you don't have to be Pastor Jeremy, you don't have to be an elder, a deaconess, all of us can practice compassion. And it changes, it transforms the world around you. If ever there was a time that I have grown up in my culture, in my society, where we need transformational living, it is now. There is no overt effort that is happening that I believe is spiritual, that is driving us against one another, that is lacking in love, that is causing our young people to be so imminently discouraged. How many of you over 60 have found yourself saying, I shudder to think what my grandkids are going to go through? Right? So you had a reaction to that because we've all said things like that. So what do we do? 
Is there any hope in any of this? You know what? When compassion is practiced, look at how desperate the Jewish nation was when Jesus came. Sometimes we forget Herod killed every child in the Bethlehem region under the age of two that was a male. If that had happened from our government, they just systematically went to a town and killed every boy under the age of two. I think sometimes we forget about how bad it was where Jesus inserted himself. And so the landscape was ready for compassion. The landscape was ready for a savior. Our landscape is ready. And individual acts of love and compassion on those around us who are in need are what? They're definable. They're powerful. They're, they transform. And they kill spiritual apathy. You know, the first three have a lot to do with the person you're having compassion on. I think the last point that's listed there has a definable level of transformation for both the person practicing compassion and the one receiving the compassion. Have you ever walked by someone's house or walked into your own house after someone had, and the cookies are still in the oven, and you're on a diet, and you had a bad day, and I could keep going and going. I'm not talking about any specific moment in my life, I'm sure. <laughs> it's visceral! If I smell when Gentry makes fresh cookies, I walk in the door and there is a feeling in my bowels. <laughs> See, it's definable. There's a reason I'm using language like this, folks. Because when compassion is active, there's a reaction of transformed lives. We saw it in Jesus' ministry. If you know Jesus through faith, you have experienced the compassion of his action to come down and insert himself into this. So that what? So that you and I can be free from sin and death. What kind of a God would do that? No mythology, no cult, no religion other than the one based off of the scriptures right here behind me has that kind of love manifested from their God? It's that kind of compassion that saved you and I from sin and death. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Compassion reaction smells a certain way, whether it's barbecue Coming on from the back, I feel you, brother. Chocolate chip cookies. Junior higher's feet. The reaction to compassion heals all barriers and transcends rhetoric and opinion. So many of us are getting caught up in rhetoric and opinion and debate. You're never going to win those debates. You realize Jesus preached truth all over the place and most people could have cared less. 
And that's Jesus. But when he demonstrated compassion, people dropped what they were doing and followed him. Do you realize how powerful compassion is? It transforms the practitioner. Compassion kills spiritual apathy. In closing this morning, I want us to focus on the very last words of this story where he says, you go and do likewise. And I'm going to give you just a couple stories to inspire you. But really what I want to see happen when I feel like the Lord is telling me about us is that this, this morning, should inspire us on how to meet the world around us, how to meet our friends, how to meet our families. And you are going to struggle with this process of doing even the simplest act of compassion because it's a spiritual battle. All around you every day, all around me every day, I am constantly encouraged to take care of whom? Myself. Every truth matters according to how I think. Every opinion should be measured against my standards. The funny thing about compassion is it doesn't really care about all of those opinions. You have to throw away opinions. As Steve embraced that young man, he had to throw away everything in his mind telling him why not to do it. That young man died. But he did not die alone. I believe it was a God appointment for him to step into my friend's place. Because nowhere else was he going to be held in his last month of life. You practice this. We had a family that we had to say goodbye to. They're thriving. It's my pleasure to tell you that they're thriving. But the Hamiltons came to this church hurting, having lost their one-year-old daughter a year prior. And God miraculously brought Justin, Ashley, and Abigail. And the last day Justin was here, we went out to lunch, and his words to me were, you in this church have saved my life. They're thriving. They were met with compassion by this church. Much like the Samaritan. He lost his job because of COVID. Was working in the entertainment field. God blessed us. The, the, the new lighting system, the dedicated process of, of our broadcast system so much of the sound, all of this stuff was Justin's mindset. God brought him to us. He didn't bring, it, bring him to us for this. He brought him to a small church where he and Ashley could be cared for. And now they're at a huge church. Those jerks, why would they leave us? <laughs> I know you're listening, Justin. I don't know what camera I'm on, but whatever. You made these cameras, you decide what camera I'm on. The last couple months they were here, we were trying to create a position here, but I knew that it wouldn't be enough, and God gave them a great position up in Spokane, but they needed resource to get through those last two months, and we took up for them. And you raised over $8,000.
to carry them through. It wasn't just about that. It was about the families, the individuals that reached out in compassion to them and cared for them and loved on them. And they are still hurting. You, you never fully recover from that. But to feel compassion from people around you in those moments helps you move through every day. The Hamiltons are one example. Our Haiti Fund is another example. Today is the last day to contribute to that. And we were thinking, how can we make a difference to those we have no connection to? And we didn't know how to do that in Afghanistan when we started up on this four weeks ago. But we knew because World Vision is connected in Haiti and they've done a tremendous work, a tremendous work even stemming back to the last earthquake in 2012. And so we connected up with them. And our goal is to raise $3,000 to send through World Vision to care for people who have nothing. There is a huge, I just heard this over the radio two days ago, a huge migration of Haitians desperate for life that are trying to come across our border. Desperate. Because things are so bad. Memorial services. This is one of those things we don't often talk about, but I want to I commend this church. You have loved your neighbor. There's a group of people at this church that whether they even know the individual that has passed away, there are four families that are always there representing. And I would encourage the younger generation to pay attention to these four families. If you think this is important and you want to carry this on, it wasn't convenient for those families to be at those memorial services. They could have made a lot of excuses like the Levite or the priest. And by the way, it's not just four families, but I'm thinking of specific four families that all the memorial services I've gone to, they've faithfully been at every single one, whether they knew the person or not. But because somehow they were connected to someone at our church, they wanted to show compassion for the person who was mourning. What a tremendous statement because it takes time and we could give a hundred reasons why not to show up. But you know what I hear from people? It was transformative that our church family was there. It means everything that our church family was there. So, wait, what's the reaction here? What is the reaction? Remember the story of the ten lepers? Right? Jesus walking along and these guys start yelling from their leper colony. You just hear the conversation, you know, hey, Bob. Sorry, I just happened to be looking at Bob. Bob has nothing to do with the story. Hey, hey, uh, you know, Saul, you know, we don't have any Sauls here. Hey, Saul, look who's coming. It's our one shot. Everybody start yelling, make a bonfire, right? Shoot a cat, I don't know, get his attention. And so they, they get his attention. They're crying out for mercy. Jesus walks up and he heals all ten. They all go running. Yay, I'm healed. What a great thing of compassion. Jesus gave them instructions. One out of ten came back and said thank you. And you know what? It mattered. Jesus said, where are the other nine? So what should be our action? We've heard that we should act like Christ and, and demonstrate compassion, right? We, we've got that part. But I would say this, when someone has demonstrated compassion to you and to myself, 
How about we go back and we say thank you and let them know what an impact that had? That's the proper reaction to compassion. Let them know this morning I was in a certain drive-thru. Look, Sundays, that is a free day, right? I am free. And uh, so there's a huge line, and I need to get here, and I'm speaking on compassion. And there was this ambiguous thing about this truck and who, who was there first in line, me or the truck, and I'm just like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And uh, so they go ahead. I get up, they hand me my, my vegetable smoothie and my kale, what? What are you laughing at? And, uh, <laughs> and they say, the person in front of you paid. See? And you're all laughing about where I was. Jesus wanted me there <laughs> for this illustration. Please don't strike me. That is a reaction to compassion. Because, here's what's cool. The joy on the girl's face, handing me this and telling me the story. She said, she wanted to bless you because you blessed her by letting her go first in line. How small was that effort? Yet now you're all going to remember that story, not just me. Brothers and sisters, there's so much more that we can do. So I'm just going to reiterate what Jesus said. You, go and do likewise. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this story and help us to use that deep, bowel-wrenching, gut-turning sense of conviction that we don't cross over the other side, that we don't get distracted, but that we act in compassion to so many people around us that are hurting. And that when we have been blessed by someone giving us compassion, our reaction to that is one of thankfulness and praise to you. Let this be a powerful, powerful moment for us. Let us go and do likewise so that we are justified in loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.